This is right and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, there is also one mediator between God and humankind, Christ Jesus, himself human, who gave himself a ransom for all. I'm not so sure that this text is part of the covenant canon. Saved, truth, one God, one mediator, ransom for all. This is not language that we typically use here, but it's in the Christian canon. And so since it's in our sacred text, our sacred scriptures, we must tackle it. But we here at Covenant are known for tackling the tough text, even those that make us uncomfortable. We know how this text is preached, which is perhaps why we avoid this text. Other religions and theological persuasions are contrasted with Christian doctrines to show the flaws of those other faith systems and demonstrate the supremacy of Christian covenant membership card. Like American Express, membership in covenant does have its benefits. But on a deeper level, since I was 13 years old, I've never been fully comfortable, quite frankly, with texts like today's. But concurrently, I've also never been fully comfortable with interreligious dialogue. When I was 13 years old, I, was, I became a student in David Wizzick's seventh grade English class. And in time, he became a mentor to me and even today, some 30 years later, I still trust David Wizzick, my seventh grade English teacher, with many and some and many of my deepest anxieties and fears. David Wizzick is Jewish, deeply rooted in the reformed tradition, which informed his lifelong commitment to teaching inner city youths the joys and the importance of reading. And with all of David Wizzick's Jewishness, for example, at Christmas when teachers would just, you know, put a door displays and all the, some of you know this stuff, they, they put the little trinkets on the doors to show, you know, the, uh, the Christmas story and everything. David Wizzick put up the menorah and other symbols of Judaism. And so it began when I was 13 years old, in spite of all that he did, in spite of all of who he was, I began to wonder what would happen to his soul because he did not believe in Jesus as I was taught. When I was 16 years old, I had the pleasure of going to Israel. And while there, I 
spent time, I stayed with a Muslim host family, the Sweetettes. My siblings were Tamata, her brothers were Nayef and Orwa. Tamata was my host, but I also hung out with Nayef. The Sweetettes welcomed me with wide open arms and words cannot describe the hospitality that I experienced from them. Case in point, we were scheduled to go out for a day outing in the city of Haifa, and we were supposed to pack a lunch. And so dad, I can't remember his first name to save my life, watched me and another, um, another, uh, um, another student he was hosting, another peer of mine he was hosting, me go to the refrigerator and he told both of us, take whatever you want out of there. Well, being good Americans, you know, when Americans say take whatever you want out of there, you know, you don't quite know how much to go into the refrigerator. So we were being very pensive about, about what we take out. And he saw us being very apprehensive about what we took out. And so he walked over to the refrigerator, opened the door, and started taking out Tupperware of, of just stuff. This is yours, this is yours, this is yours, this is yours. All oh, the hospitality I experienced that particular day has stayed in my mind again almost some 30 years later. And yet still, I wondered about their salvation. A few years later, Nayef died in a car accident, in a motorcycle accident. And I called Tamata in Haifa and was out of a loss of words because of the salvation issue. My mother heard me stumbling, took the phone, and said some very sweet and compassionate words of sorrow to Tamata. And after all the conversations ended, my Black Baptist mother looked at me and said, you have to learn how to minister to people, Christian or not, no matter what their faith or religious belief is. As a college student, I started engaging in interfaith dialogue, but early conversations turned me off because the ultimate message I got from these conversations were that all religions were the same and Christianity was no different from any other religion, thus downplaying significant differences. Well, I strongly disagree with that statement and that sentiment then, as I do now. There are unique features of Christianity that are, importance to me, that are of importance to me, which includes the birth, life, death, and resurrection narratives of Jesus Christ. And downplaying those narratives for the sake of interreligious dialogue did not appeal to me then, and it does not appeal to me now. Mind you, all religions have unique features that make them stand out from among others. And I wanted to preserve what was important, what I believed was important to myself. But over time, Two events helped me become more, more comfortable with interfaith dialogue and put an end to those salvation questions about David Wizzick or even the Sweet Tots. First, when I was a college sophomore, I was a member of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, 
And that year, InterVarsity decided to come up with a list of core beliefs that its leaders would hold. Belief in Christ alone, because other religions were false, so that belief took the campus by storm, as you can imagine. But in the midst of that debate, InterVarsity invited my pastor, a black Baptist preacher from Des Moines, Iowa, to speak. It was on campus he learned about this debate that was taking place. Mind you, my pastor at that time, he was a black Baptist preacher. But the next Sunday after preaching at Grinnell, he pulled me aside in his office and said that we were engaged in the wrong questions on campus. We were engaged in the wrong, but he said, you cannot prove that Christianity is truer than any other religion. And that's not, that's not your message. Just preach Christ crucified. In other words, simply preach about Jesus Christ as a, yeah, that R word there, that R word in today's text. That was the first one. The second one, I took a class on Heschel. It was offered by one of his protégés, who has become my unofficial rabbi, Harold Kazimov, professor in our religious studies department. Professor Kazimov had us read, one of the first readings he had us to do was Heschel's landmark essay, No Religion is an Island. This essay pointed me away from the salvation questions. Interesting enough, it pointed me away from interfaith dialogue and interreligious dialogue on a temporary basis and moved me towards becoming more committed to my Christian faith. The essay also validated my concerns about the all religions are the same approach that I heard in interreligious dialogue circles. This quote is found in our epigraph in the front of the program, bulletin, and it reads, the first and most important prerequisite of interfaith is faith. Interfaith must come out of a depth, not out of a void absence of faith. Faith and the power of insight and devotion can only grow in privacy, for exposing one's inner life may engender the danger of desecration, distortion, and confusion. Syncretism is a perpetual possibility. Moreover, at a time of paucity of faith, interfaith may become a substitute for faith, suppressing authenticity for the sake of compromise. In a world of conformity, Religions can be easily leveled down to the lowest common denominator. Both communication and separation are necessary. We must preserve our individuality as well as foster care for one another. Reverence, understanding, cooperation. The problem to be faced is how to combine loyalty to one's own tradition with reverend issues. But with this question, what do we do 
with this text. For there is one God. There is also one mediator between God and humankind, Christ Jesus, himself human, who gave himself a ransom for all. For certain, it shall not be used as a bludgeon against non-Christians, or even Christians who do not ascribe to the sentiments it expresses. And at the same time, the text is important. As Laura said, context matters. First Timothy is purportedly written by Paul to his young protege, Timothy. I say purportedly written because biblical scholars debate the epistles authorship. I'm not an expert at Greek. You can consult Laura upon her return. But simply speaking, some scholars say that the language and the vocabulary of 1 Timothy does not match the language, vocabulary, the concepts of writings known to be authored by Paul. But these scholars say that the sentiments expressed is more of a reflection of second century church leaders who were fighting off different beliefs and trying to establish Christian theology and church administration. These leaders came up with our canon, were trying to um, establish Christian theology, church administration, and they ascribed this letter to Paul to give the beliefs authority. We hear Paul saying, I'm not lying. And the Timothy figure then, according to these scholars, is simply a symbolic name that includes all church leaders. But indeed, if this is true, then it might be easy to dismiss 1 Timothy, to ignore verses 5 and 6 as outside influences on the religion brought into the canon to satisfy an agenda. However, I think you know me well. I choose to engage this epistle as a letter written by Paul to his young protege, Timothy. It is a personal letter. Not one meant to become scripture, not one meant to become canon, not one meant to be compiled in a book. It was a personal letter which Paul expresses his own beliefs, his own essentials to the young Timothy. It's written by, it's written at a time where there are multiple gods. And Paul says, no, there'll be one God, one God to distinguish this Christian church from the culture around it. It's not to deny the existence of other gods, but it's an affirmation that Christian communities would be guided by one God only, one set of qualities, with a diversity of names like mother and father and divine and Yahweh and Adonai and Lord and love, one set of metaphors with a plethora of, in of images to choose uh, from like comforter and shepherd, rock and potter, mother eagle, bear and hen, all bound and embodied by one eternal spirit who created us all and knows our names. One God. Paul affirms the humanness of Jesus over and against a set of ideas 
that said to be human was evil and that human flesh was evil and that humans could do no good in the world. Well, if this is the case, then what Paul is saying is Jesus was human. Jesus is human. And this human says that we are created good as evidence by the first chapter of the book of Genesis. And this human Jesus empowers us all, all of us, to do good, to love other human beings just as we love our own flesh and blood. But Paul says that Jesus gave himself as a ransom for all. And Marcus Borg reminds us that such ransom and sacrificial language in reference to Jesus are first post-Easter narratives and post-Easter interpretations of this crucifixion fiction event. And about this ransom and sacrificial language should not supplant the historical reasons why Jesus was crucified, going against Roman authority. Borg reminds us that this language is not meant to become some exclusionary, substitutionary atonement doctrine, but it is language that seeks to undermine and break the idea that one had to go to the temple, that one had to make a sacrifice, one had to perform a set of rituals to be forgiven for sin. Borg says that this language is meant to convey the idea that God has taken care of whatever that we may think separates us from God, that we have radical access to God apart from the temple, apart from sacrifice, apart from a system ideas. Borg says that this ransom language is meant to be a radical metaphor of grace of amazing grace. However way we describe grace and God's grace for ourselves. Paul says that Jesus is a mediator between God and humankind. And in this role, Jesus does not seek to exclude anyone from receiving God's grace. You see, in this role, I see Jesus as one who encourages God to love us, to remind God, to remind God that that, that you, God, you, God, have never been human apart from Jesus. And so, God, you don't understand what it's like to be human down here on this earth. I see Jesus repeatedly telling God, pulling God aside, to, telling God to have mercy on us, to bless us, to cause God's face to shine upon us, that thy ways may be known upon the earth, thy saving health among all nations. As Jesus telling us as human beings to love God, to receive God's grace, and to persevere in the midst of adversity. But there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and humankind, Jesus Christ, himself human, who gave the ransom for all. And so with these statements then, I close with the return to Heschel's central question. How to combine loyalty to one's own tradition with reverence for different traditions? We're using covenant language. What does it mean to be a Christian community with different faith perspectives?
Very simply, it means we must repeatedly look at our own beliefs and values of the Bible our sacred text contains. We must contextualize those sentiments, those confessions and stories, and we sometimes draw upon other religious traditions at times to help us wrestle with the, this text. We sometimes draw upon other religious traditions to help us understand God and Jesus. We draw upon other religious uh, traditions to help us to become better Christians. You see, for me personally, it was Heschel's writings that helped me become a better Christian. It was Heschel is in search of us and we are in search of God that helped me to understand who Jesus is. It helped me to understand Torah differently, to see how Torah grounded David Wizzick in social justice. Hold the image of Mr. Sweeter, literally opening his refrigerator door to a hungry teenager as an exemplar for hospitality. And for these examples of hospitality and social justice, crucial elements of Christianity, yet provided to me by a Jewish man and a Muslim family, I say, thanks be to God. First Timothy chapter two, Verse 1. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings should be made for everyone, for rulers and all who are in high positions, so that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all goodliness, all godliness, and dignity. This is right and is acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God. There is also one mediator between God and humankind, Christ Jesus, himself human, who gave himself a ransom for all. This was attested at the right time. For this, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. These are our sacred stories. Thanks be to God.